Hi, guys. Hello. It's Ryan. And it's Alex. And this week, my worst nightmare came true. Uh, well, my second worst nightmare. My worst nightmare is being framed for murder. But my second worst nightmare is researching the same case as Alex and not knowing. <laughs> uh, we just showed up here today, and I... To, I'm gonna be completely honest with all of you. I was unprepared. I was not ready. I did not complete my episode because it was very um, complicated when I started it, and I wanted to give more time to it. And so, anyway, showed up to do the episode. Knew I had one ready and everything. And I tell her what I just spent literally like six hours researching today, and she goes, mm, "That's the case I'm doing today." <laughs> and that was a story of how my worst nightmare came true. My second worst nightmare. But anyway, uh, this could be a great episode because we both know a lot about this. Yeah. So that's pretty much it. <laughs> that's my story. Sorry it wasn't better. It was good enough for me. Thanks. Anyway. Let's get into it. Okay, so just kind of a warning for this story. There's been a lot of different stories reported in this case, um, and some of them have differing information between what his family is saying, his wife, his friends. Um, there's been a lot of different accounts. Uh, the story is based off of several different sources. As more information comes out, we'll share updates from that from both the family and the authorities. Um, so just putting that out there, if you find something from a different source that... Contradicts. contradicts what we say definitely send us yeah we'd love to know yeah. i'll definitely back that up as someone who spent six hours researching the same case i found that i think i've seen that more in this case than any other case i've mm -hmm. ever looked at like i consistently found contradicting like information even about his height I was going to say, yeah, even like the smallest details, I think it's because there's several different agencies working on it. Yeah, literally up to like 18 at one point or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, and amount. I even saw 16, so yeah. even the number of authorities working right, on this is right. different, so <laughs> that just, just as a fair warning, um, but... This is the story of Chance Engelbert. He is 25 years old, 5 foot 10 we think he could be... I heard 5'9 and 5'11. Okay. Never 5'10. <laughs> so, so perfect example. <laughs> he could be 5'9 up to 5'11. Mm -hmm. About 195 pounds. He has light brown hair and hazel eyes. He is married to 20-year-old Bailey. And they got married in October 2018. And they had their son Banks in May of 2019. Chance was said to be a loving father who was very excited for his son to grow up and start driving demolition derby cars, uh, which was actually a huge part of his life, which I thought was adorable. Mm -hmm. um, Bailey and Chance lived in Moorcroft, Wyoming, but were visiting Bailey's grandparents in Gearing, Nebraska, where Chance went missing from in, uh, on the evening of July 6, 2019. Chance was described by friends and family as kind, funny, and hardworking. Chance worked at a coal mine, but was laid off. He then went and got a job at Blakeman's Propane as a welder. He had not actually worked at Blakeman's at all because he went missing before he was supposed to start that Monday, July 8th. 
Chance had been golfing with some of Bailey's family members when a comment was made by one of her male family members that upset Chance, supposedly about his new job, saying, at least it's not minimum wage. Although this has not been confirmed, he asked to go home, so Bailey drove him back to the grandparents' house to pick up their belongings so they could head back to Wyoming. Bailey pulled into the driveway, got the baby out, um, and took the baby and the car seat inside so they could go gather the stuff they needed. Um, But when she came back out, Chance was gone. And it wasn't super uncommon for Chance to walk off when he was upset. His wife, Bailey, said, when he gets mad, he'll walk to cool down, but I didn't think he'd go far. He just kept walking until I couldn't see him. I didn't think he was serious. That was at about approximately 7.20 p.m. And at 7.24 p.m., Chance called his friend and co-worker at the coal mine and at Blakeman's, Matt Miller, telling him he had started to walk towards Torrington, Wyoming, which is about a 35-mile walk from Gearing, which is quite the hike. And to be clear, it's in the northwest direction. That's important. Yes. From, from where he was. He would be walking northwest, yes. sorry, to be clear. Um, he was seen on a business's surveillance at about 7.51 p.m. at the intersection of 10th Street and Martha Drive, walking northbound. So, going in the right direction. Um, Assuming he was going to Torrington, like yeah, he said. Yep. Um, and so, the sheriff of Gearing Police, uh, Rogers, said that Engelbert's cell phone was last communicated with at a tower near Riverview Golf Course, which is just west of Scotts Bluff. And the last time his phone had been used was shortly after 9 p.m. There was a large thunderstorm that rolled through western Nebraska slash eastern Wyoming that night. That would have made walking to Torrington not only horrible, but nearly impossible. Bailey wasn't worried. Still, though. She said, I still wasn't that worried. I figured he'd come slinking in late that night, but he didn't. And then I woke up the next morning. He wasn't there. I knew it was bad. I don't know why she wasn't worried before that, but. Yeah, it was like there was like flash flood warnings and everything in the area because there had been so much rain. Yeah, I don't know. That's and because they're right on, they're right on the river, right yep. on the North Platte River. So he, like the, that's the why water? the flooding was even more worrisome because the water was already high from all the flooding that happened yeah. a couple months before. So yeah, that was yeah was super weird. Like that you wouldn't already be worried, but especially because the weather was like particularly bad. Yes, exactly. Um, the weather made it really, really difficult to look for Chance. When his friend Matt made it into town on the 8th, he noticed that there was debris, broken trees, and a lot of evidence of how large the storm was. Um, and again, Gearing Police Captain Jason Rogers confirmed that as part of the investigation, Chance had been captured on video walking past those two businesses and an apartment in Terrytown. So, Terrytown is actually in between Gearing and Scotts Bluff. So, if you're imagining a curve, it would go Gearing, Terrytown, Scotts Bluff, but not a direct curve. It'd be like if you went straight up from Gearing to Terrytown and then kind of a... A little left. A 45 degree angle to uh, 
Scott's Bluff. So so along the whole way, just to be clear, if you're imagining it like kind of, it's a curve, but like if you're imagining them in a line, it would be gearing, and then he's walking from gearing towards Terrytown, and then towards Scott's Bluff, and then to- towards his end goal that he told Matt, which is Torrington. And the last video of Chance shows him walking in the area of the intersection of Terry Boulevard and Stable Club Road in Terrytown, which again is only a mile and a half from Gearing. Uh, Chance's family was in Gearing by Sunday evening to do searches. Uh, the police were involved right away and they had little to no evidence, which they told Bailey and Chance's mom, Dawn. At the end of the conversation with the police, Bailey mentioned getting a death certificate which was odd because he had barely been missing at all. His family was there on Sunday. He went missing the night before. Why would you ask for a death certificate that yeah, quick? I, wow, I didn't know that it was that soon. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, it was that, pretty much right away. Ooh, I don't like that. Yeah. So the police have been working, um, but they were not as helpful as the family would hope. A lot of the searches that have been done are the family's doing, and based off the information that Bailey has given, um, so no one really saw a chance in the Gearing area or in Terrytown or the direction that he was supposed to be headed in that northwest direction. Um, other than those video footage they have, there's really not any other sightings of chance. And no one in his life thinks that he abandoned everyone or that he was a victim of a crime of opportunity. So not like he was walking and a serial killer or someone just randomly decided they wanted to kidnap him. Things like that. He was not like a small guy. Not someone that you could just pick up and throw in your truck. Um, Definitely, I don't think that it was a crime of opportunity either. But there are a few suspicious things that his wife, Bailey, has done other than the weird death certificate thing and not being worried about him being out in a horrible storm. So she has barely cooperated with the police, it, with any of the agencies, the 16 to 18 involved. Um, her family that Chance was with that day has also been no help at all. Um, she told authorities that the marriage was really easy and great and they were so happy, but his best friend, Matt, the one that he worked with and was friends with outside of work, said that that was not true. The marriage was not as picture perfect as Bailey portrayed it to be. And I don't know about you guys, but like work coworkers usually know the small details like that better than a lot of other people just because you're with them for eight hours a day well and he and matt were they were friends before he and bailey even met and they were they were like together the day that he met bailey for the first time met on tinder (laughs) yeah yeah like and just and matt was like with him the day that they met her the first time or whatever and like he was kind of there through their whole relationship and stuff and so i feel like his view of how it was is actually probably pretty accurate because he saw it all from the beginning exactly and their i mean their relationship was very average in my opinion it went some people kind of especially in their 
like the people that knew them um I think sort of had opinions about how quickly they moved because they met and then like within two years they were married and had a baby together and they didn't even like know each other before then and she was very young and she was very young and that was I think what what the thing was that bothered everyone so much because they were like how can she move so quickly with you know she doesn't know better she's young she doesn't know who she is yet kind of thing um and so there was a lot of judgment about that but I don't I don't I don't know personally if that really plays into it, but I don't think that their marriage exactly was was what she plays it out to be. That's yeah. for sure. And I think Matt, anyway, what I mean is Matt's opinion, I think, is pretty, pretty relevant. Yeah. Carries a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and she didn't really seem to care all that much when he went missing. Like I said, she wasn't concerned when he was out late. Um, maybe she went to bed early, but at the same time, if your husband walked off. Because he was upset and wanted to go home. Wouldn't you think that, like, after an hour or two, you would put a little more effort into looking for him? hmm I don't know. That's just me. And she hasn't really participated in any of the searches. Um, his family has organized a Facebook page called Help Find Chance Engelbert. And they have searches on there, and you can share any information. It's about to be a year here in a couple months. Um... And they're still kind of at the same place that they were um, when Chance went missing. And this is very conspiracy theory-esque, but a lot of people comment on this Facebook page about how there's new concrete being laid down at Bailey's stepfather's home and that their barn burned down. Um, Although none of this has been confirmed by authorities or anything, um, it also hasn't been looked into It just seems very coincidental that her husband goes missing and their barn happens to burn down and they lay down all this new concrete when she's already looking like she's being kind of sketchy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So like I said, there's that Facebook page. They do share a lot of pictures of Chance. So if you want to check that out to see if you may have possibly seen him. He was last seen wearing a western shirt. It was white with light blue stripes with green and white beaded belt with an NRCA bareback belt buckle, roper shoes, and a black and white trucker's hat at the time of his disappearance. He has light brown hair. He had a mustache and a goatee. And before we get into more of what we think, I want to end with a quote from Captain Rogers that says, although this remains an open missing person investigation, we welcome the sharing of information. Please keep in mind that not all information we have can be shared, but we welcome an open dialogue. The most beneficial way to help is to say a prayer for Chance, his family, and the law enforcement personnel looking for answers. And if you think you have any information that might assist in this case, you can call the Gearing Police Department at 308 436 5089. Um, uh, okay, so I have this. Phew, sorry f- to everyone listening. This episode might be a little lengthy because I have a lot. <laughs> I have a lot to say about this. So, really quick, can we recap what your like timeline for him was that night? Okay, so he had been golfing, right, with Bailey's family. Mm-hmm. And that's when they got in the argument, which I, so the quote that you said about what happened, um, 
about what they were talking about, the comment that was made about the minimum wage About the minimum wage, wage yeah. That's actually the most, I didn't see anything specific about that. I just saw a lot of speculation all over that. A lot of people thought that it probably was something to do with the fact that he had just lost his job or some kind yeah. of, because it was probably a pretty sensitive topic, even though he ha- he already had a new job lined up for Monday morning and he, you know, everything was going to be okay. He was still probably pretty stressed out and felt bad about, you know, losing his job when yeah, he was trying to provide for this new, new baby family. At home. Yeah. And so, especially because he really cared about being a dad. He wasn't like a deadbeat by any yeah. means as a husband or a father or anything. And he didn't want to. He didn't want to be somebody that didn't provide, so he already felt bad about it, and I could see how that could kind of wound his pride a little bit, especially coming from your in-laws, who you want to respect you and know that you're trying to take care of their daughter. Uh, Okay, so so they're at the golf course. They get in the argument. He says, I want to go home. Bailey takes him home. Yep, and he walks off at 7.20. So before, backing up slightly, my understanding is that they also had an argument while they were in the car. The two of them were arguing as well, which I could see happening because he's already frustrated. She maybe is trying to defend her family or trying to calm him down and he's just getting more like I could see so many ways in which you could get an argument after that situation like not I'm not like hating on them like I could totally see like total reasonable reasons right he's like like, I just want to go home and she's like well it's kind of late yeah yeah can we just stay the night exactly like if I was in the situation I could totally see myself fighting with my boyfriend about it like I get it and so um so I so that's what my understanding was is that they also were arguing and then they got home he walked off around 7.20, and then what was the next thing you had? 7.24, he calls Matt. Okay. I did not know about that. My understanding of his conversation with Matt was that he said, I'm walking towards Torrington. I want you to come pick me up. But they did not talk about what the argument was about because Matt did not know for sure what the topic was. The, I would just want to be clear that what, like, the quote she said earlier and then what we just talked about is total speculation. Like, no one knows for yes. sure what the argument was about because the father-in-law and and Bailey's brother-in-law. Bailey's family's not talking. Yeah. Like, the, the ones that were there at the golf course haven't said anything about what happened. There's absolutely no clarity. So what we're saying in that is literally just speculation. There's yes, absolutely yes. no clarity in that. Okay. So he calls he calls Matt, talks to him about what's happening, and then what? Uh, he's like, I'm going to Torrington. Right. Um, and then at 7.51, he's seen on those business surveillance cameras at 10th and Martha walking northbound. Mm-hmm. Which I saw was a Domino's Pizza. Okay. If that's any, just a, just a, could be a detail that we, again, differences yeah. in stories. Um, so he walks past, so I also saw 7.51 that he walked past Domino's Pizza and then, I think this is where our timelines diverge a little bit. Okay. So tell, take me through the rest of your. Okay, you between seven fifty one and nine o'clock, there's not really anything, um, other than his phone pinged off a tower near Riverview Golf Course. Do you have anything in between seven fifty one and nine? Well, I have that the last time that his friends or family members spoke to him was around eight forty five. Okay. Uh, but then after that. I have a different ending. Oh. Like, of what happened that night. What is it? Of Or, like, where he was or whatever. Which, it could be that just... Because we're not... We don't, we're don't we from Nebraska, but we're not from that area of the state, so we're not, like, familiar with the, like, the little I've towns and stuff. I've been to Gearing once. I've never been there. So, like, I have... I don't know all the little towns and everything in between. So, this could be very well that we actually did hear... It's a similar area or whatever. Yeah. But it just sounds different because they're different names. But what I saw was that... Um, and most of this that I found was from, uh, going through the web sleuths, which God bless them, the web sleuths, uh, 
form about this case. So anyway, that's where I got those from. So maybe that's probably why it's a different, they got different sources. But, um, so where I, what I had was that the last time he talked to friends or family was around 845. And then that thunderstorm started around 9, 915. That's when it hit. Mm-hmm. And so that's when it started raining, got really bad. So the next thing that I saw is sort of maybe a little bit of an offshoot and it ended up kind of not being a real thing, but it really threw a wrench in the story throughout the initial investigation when it kind of all first blew up. So somewhere between nine and 10 ish, there was a report uh, later on that somebody had seen it between nine and 10 ish. Like a couple of days later, they reported this that that same night, somewhere between nine and 10 that they had seen him just kind of like standing around like under a tree and then kind of going over a bridge in Terrytown. Oh, but it's weird because he like it was pouring rain. Like, why would he be out also, in that? It just two hours to go a mile and a half. Exactly. doesn't make any sense. But then it ended up being later on that I don't think that that was actually him. I'm pretty sure it was confirmed later on that that was like due to like uh, they figured it out based on like video footage and stuff oh, of okay. nearby areas that it wasn't him for okay. sure. So anyway, but that did throw a wrench in it for a little while that people were like, what is going on? Yeah. But anyway. OK, so. If we ignore that little piece, so the thunderstorm starts around like 9, 9, 15. And then what I had is that around 10 p.m., so you said 9 was around the, was when you saw the last ping on his mm-hmm. phone. My, my sources said that it was around 10 and that the phone pinged in the vicinity of Owl Road, which is just south of the Western Travel Terminal, which is like a convenience store truck stop kind yeah. of area, um, which in our uh off time here me and alex discovered that those are not very far apart so it's entirely possible that the reason that we have different sources about this could actually come from the fact that the data is not like super sure like phone pings are only so specific Mm -hmm. sometimes um if you guys are familiar the thing that i compared it to was um, in adnan syed's case there's a lot of um problems with the fact that incoming or outgoing calls like ping differently and all these kind of different little weird things and something that was like that in this case that uh kind of came out later was that the data from the phone pings comes from an arc that is actually a couple of miles long which carry covers an area um that encompasses all the way from scott's bluff national monument the property of that to gearing um west like in gearing okay sorry Scotts Bluff National Monument, the area in Gearing is where that is, all the way to West 25th Street in Scotts Bluff. So it's like a few miles apart. So it's very possible that um, the information that we had was honestly basically the same ping, but it just was reported a little bit differently. Yeah, and I do, I do want to say that although Scotts Bluff, Gearing, and Terrytown are all technically different cities, Gearing and Scotts Bluff basically back up to each other um on google maps it does not even really show that much of a difference um i'm get my guess is that it's they grew an eight minute drive yeah exactly i think over time um, they just kind of mended into almost exactly. one time and Terrytown is like almost the little in between like yeah. it's literally like the little middle road. exactly and the service out there is not great in general. Plus it was so, a storm. Yeah, plus with a storm, it's very possible that, like, maybe he did make the call at 8 o'clock, but it dropped or something like something like that. I don't right. know how phone tracking works. Yeah. So 
if you know how it works, let me know, but... I think that's actually one of the most interesting things in this case, now that we're, like, sitting here talking about it and finding out all these different, like, mm-hmm. con- contradicting things, is that this just happened last summer, and they can't figure it out. Like, that's kind of terrifying. <laughs> Yeah. Like, when you think about somebody going missing in, like, the 80s or something, it totally makes sense because they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have ways to track people like that. But now he literally had his phone on him, and they still can't even say within a two-hour time frame based on what we're seeing differences. Almost a two-hour time frame could – that could make a big difference exactly. of where he was and when he was there. And He could have made it way closer to Torrington. Yeah, he could have made it almost all the way there. Who knows? Yeah. Like, you never know. I don't know. There's a lot in this case that just is so – so uh baffling to me um it appears which is the most exhausting kind of missing persons case that he just disappeared into thin air and that's I the know that's not thing. possible but that's it's it's how it feels it's other how it than feels. getting way down a rabbit hole about who could have done it that's pretty much what it seems like yeah he's just gone yeah so like the major theories that I had kind of coming out of this research were mostly twofold. So one, I had like the river theory, which, so bringing in a little bit of science, um, according to the U.S. Geological Survey's data from the week that he went missing, the North Platte River was running really high at the time, mm-hmm. which was probably because of the rain and because of the residual extra water from all the flooding that happened in March, April of last year. Yeah. Um, and his last phone ping, regardless of if it's exactly where you said or exactly where I said, it was it was somewhere relatively near the river, especially if it was where the information that I saw, at least. I'm not sure how close yours is to the river. Um, but assuming maybe that was the case that he was in that area or whatever, it's entirely possible that he and the phone may have gotten somehow swept into the water or somehow hurt if they like, if there was a flash flood all of a sudden and he got washed in, it's entirely possible that if that did happen, that once in the river, he would not have been able to survive. Like the waters were at like seven feet, which with those kind of currents and rapids in that river, it's just not oh, yeah, like no you wouldn't way. be able to get out really. And it's very plausible that you could die. But, but when you think they would recover a body? Yeah, that's there's two things that, that are hard about that theory. First of all, in his defense, he was like a, a very much an outdoorsman. He liked mm-hmm. hunting. He he was familiar with the area. He was from that part of the country. Like he was from that area of kind of Wyoming and that little he, piece yeah, of Nebraska. Yeah, he was born in South Dakota. Yeah, he was he was from that part of the Midwest. Yeah. You know, like he's familiar with that kind of that kind of uh, weather, that kind of terrain, everything about it. And so I. anything can happen you never know like even super prepared people can still get caught up in bad situations but my guess is that he wouldn't that that probably didn't happen and if he did so if that did somehow still happen to him and he fell in the river um I mean they searched the rivers a few times Mm -hmm. they searched canals nearby they even drained them partially to try to search for him um and even if, even with all of that effort, even if they haven't found him, hadn't found him in that, his body could have only gone so far. It probably would have ended up like in Ogallala. Mm-hmm. Like that's probably about as far as it would have gone because there's two like dams there that yeah. like there's one right after the other. So I doubt his body could have made it further than that if, if that's even what happened. So I feel like they would have found him by now with how much they're looking. If he was in the water, I the, feel like they the would have found him. the water levels have gone down. Significantly. To the point where I think if, if, 
that had happened and he had been somehow washed up somewhere, they would have receded enough now that he probably would be somewhat visible Mm -hmm. or something would have washed up or something. So we could probably discount that, but possible. The other theory uh, that I kind of came to was the, like, peace out theory that he just, like, up and walked away. Yeah. That he was so mad about the argument that happened at the golf course and that him and Bailey got in maybe more of an argument in the car or whatever and he was just so angry and he walked away and decided my my guess is that he when he walked away he wasn't thinking I'm gonna walk away from my life like completely I think he was thinking I'm gonna walk away I don't want to be around them right now I don't want to be around Bailey I'm gonna have somebody come get me I'll talk to them tomorrow or something Mm -hmm. and Maybe it was a more intense walk away than usually he had in the past where he came back right away. And maybe he was planning to stay away for like a day or two. But based on his, you know, people's character report of him, he didn't seem like somebody that was going to walk away like that. And he had a new job lined up and he had friends and he had a baby that he was super in love with. You know, like there's plenty of reasons why he wouldn't walk away. But uh, and I know that we've said this in in past episodes before. You never know. Somebody could walk away. You never know. Like you don't want to judge them too much. Like, it it's, just really it's does possible. Not it's seem just like it. it's so unlikely, and it's just it's so strange. So the the potential possibility that he just pieced out and was out of there is there, I guess. But all he would have had is you know the clothes on his back. He, there was no financial transactions after he went missing that could have been linked to him. There was nothing like that that suggests that he's still alive. And my thing is, if that is what, let's say that's what happened, someone is not telling how severe these arguments were. Yeah. If he decided to walk away from his entire life, those arguments were not what were being told. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't, I find that kind of interesting because you would think that if, if Bailey and her family had anything to do with it, about his, with his death or or his just his disappearance, maybe he's not dead. Maybe they did something to him and he whatever left. Well, if they did have something to do with it, wouldn't they love to push the theory that he did it by himself and that it was his choice and that he's the one in the wrong and that he's the one that walked away and he's the bad guy? Yeah. But they're not. They're not. They're not saying that that's what happened. No, not at all. Because if they were, they would be coming forward with the stories of what, like, why he could have been so mad that he just chose to walk away. And maybe they would leave out how bad they were in the conversation. Yeah, but they would have. he took this person. They would have at least, if anything, manipulated the story and made him look like the bad guy. But they would have talked about what happened at the golf course. At least somewhat. Yeah. They would have talked about it. That's There's the part that's weird. Peep. Yeah, that's the weirdest thing about it. Um, which I think, honestly, that's probably my biggest question in this case is what happened at the golf course, because that's the secret to what happened later about at least what, like what the potential of what happened was, because if you know, if we know that what happened at the golf course was really, really bad, then it makes us more confident in the theory that maybe he did walk away and we, and it leads us down that path and we can kind of investigate that clearly. But if we know that what happened at the golf course was not as big of a deal as it's been made out to be, then we can eliminate the path that he may have walked off on his own and pretty much focus on the 
idea that something more sinister may have happened. Yeah, foul play. Either way, regardless of which of which happened or what happened at the golf course, as long as we get more clarity about what happened that day at that golf course, it's going to lead us in a clear direction as to where he is. And the only people that know what happened are people that aren't talking, which is extremely frustrating. Right. Yeah, I don't know. This one, this one's tough. That's, I think that's mostly all I have to say about it. There's a lot going on with it and I think it's going to continue to develop. I, I hope at least, cause if it's not, it's either going to go straight up cold because I don't know where else it can really go or someone's going to start talking. I feel like this is one of those cases where somebody knows the answer and it's just a matter of speaking up. I don't know. Like, I understand technically that family did nothing wrong, but why wouldn't you want to clear your name if you actually did nothing wrong? Yeah, it's, it, the whole, I just don't understand. The whole, like, silence of it all, and I saw things about how the family got a lawyer and stuff, too, and people thought that was sketchy. I think uh, playing devil's advocate, regardless of if they were involved or not it's probably a good idea that they get a lawyer to represent them I think at this point in yeah with that much media attention and stuff uh especially if even if they are innocent they should have somebody representing them so that they don't accidentally like make themselves seem guilty when they're not or whatever um but yeah I don't know you would think that they would want to speak up a little bit especially because he was a part of their family yeah I mean regardless of anything and I didn't really see anything that like I never. He didn't get along with them, right. or they had had any fights before. Yeah, there was never like, as far as I saw, any things. He didn't have any pro- any problems with her family until that day. Yeah, more than maybe like a normal. In I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure whatever they had arguments, or whatever. Sometimes, but like nothing that stood out to anyone in no. their lives. So yeah, super crazy. Pretty much, no one knows where he is. And they searched all around. They did water searches. They did uh, helicopter searches. They They did all kinds of stuff. And they didn't find anything. So he just walked away and never came back. And everyone in the Midwest has been wondering what happened to him ever since. This is probably the most confusing case I've ever looked at. Mm -hmm. There's just nothing literally nothing I also think for some reason it's strange to me even though I I know I've said like I said earlier that I haven't actually been to like gearing or anything myself but I've been to areas of that part of the state many times and it's just so strange to like I don't know how to explain it maybe just because it feels so close to home even though it's still a little bit of a ways away that I can almost like imagine Like, I have no idea what their house looks like or, like, what the road they live on looks like or anything like that. But I can almost just imagine the dirt road and just, like, watching him walk down the... Like, I don't know. It's so strange. Like, I feel like this weird personal connection to it. I'm just so interested to see what happens. And they are... Gearing and Scott's Bluff are smaller towns than Lincoln or Omaha. Right. But Scott's Bluff is not a small town. It's not like there's one street and no stop signs. It's... A it's, city. Yeah, it's a. T- I mean, it's a town. Yeah. Yeah. It has. Some- and so is Gearing. Like yeah. neither of those They're places not like are tiny, tiny. Yeah, it's just so strange that no one saw, well, that they know of. Right. That and that's what I'm saying. I think, either someone saw something or, someone in the family knows something, mm-hmm. or everyone in the family knows something, or Bailey knows something, or someone 
knows something to clarify, about what happened. We're not talking about Chance's family knows something because they weren't with him. Yeah, that Bailey's night. family. Yes, Bailey's they were family. they were at Bailey's family's house. But yeah, yeah. It's just someone that was there or, or like in in the vicinity knows what happened or at least knows m- more that could lead us in the direction of what happened even if they don't know the exact Yes, exactly. Fate. Uh, but yeah, we'll definitely make sure to update on this case as it moves forward. It might be a while because it's still really fresh. It hasn't even been a year. Nope. But it's super interesting to us. It's very close to home and we'll definitely, we have a shared interest in it now that we've both done, um, (laughs) extensive research on it. And I'd like to admit that my worst nightmare, second worst nightmare, um, ended up being kind of fun. We, yeah. we really enjoyed actually sitting here and talking about it. We even stopped recording for a little bit and compared maps <laughs> of the area. So anyway, this was really fun for us. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. Yes, and make sure you check out that Facebook page, um, Help Find Chance Engelbert, mm-hmm. um, if you know anything. Yeah, and contact the Gearing Police Department at the number that I shared earlier if you have any information. Yeah, that's all. Have a good one. This episode of That's Sus was researched, written, and hosted by myself, Alex Hughes, with co-hosting by Ryan Needles. All music, editing, and sound production was done by Michael Coffey. Our art was created by Carson Ghost.